0: Bismillah, walhamdulillah, wassalatu, wassalamu ala rasulillah, amma ba'ad, jazakallahu khayran for joining another session of the IFG Weekly Tafsir. As I've already said, for those of you that are new to our series, in this Tafsir we look at key verses pertaining to business, money, finance, and society, ponder over them, and share some actionable points of benefit. Today, we're going to go through the verse 44 of Surah uh, Al-An'am and share some reflections on its meaning. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فلم Manasuma dukiru be he, Fatahna aleim, a boaba culli shay in Hatter either ferry ho, Hatter either ferry ho, be a hot hum, a hot hum beltatan, fa either hum mobili And the translation is as follows When they became oblivious to warnings. We showered them with everything they desired. But just as they became prideful of what they were given, we seized them by surprise. Then they instantly fell into despair. Quite a terrifying verse, if you ask me. And here I'll share my thoughts. And, you know, for those of you on the Instagram, feel free to share your thoughts in the comments as well, whether you agree or see it in a different light. What I found very interesting was, the fact that Allah says that when they became oblivious to his warnings, meaning that when a nation, when a people didn't no longer respond to monotheism, the call towards Allah, his worship alone, Allah is as a recompense for that Allah gave them everything they desired. Allah says Kulli shay'in, everything, everything that they desired Allah gave them. And just when they became prideful, meaning when they now began seeing themselves as something great, something of a higher level, looking down upon others that don't have the status symbols that they do, Allah sees them with surprise. By surprise, he sees them. Meaning that they didn't see it coming. It all of a sudden just snap, everything went. And it reminded me, When we look back in history and Allah says in many, many verses in multiple times in the Quran that go and look at the past nations, look at what became of them. And I think of all the nations that, for example, have been destroyed and they were at the peak of their power or they were at a time when, you know, people at that time considered them these great forces of great civilizations of the world. They were wiped off the map. And the key example that keeps coming to mind is Pompeii. Now, for those of you that aren't aware of what Pompeii was, so Pompeii was basically the Las Vegas of the Roman Empire. It's where people went on holidays to get up to all sorts of fahisha. There would, of course, be very licentious things, Very what we would now consider, even now we would consider it as very sexually demoral, a lot of gambling, a lot of that kind of stuff is what went on in Pompeii, and the rich went there. And everyone knows the story of Pompeii. You know, we're here looking back hundreds of years at what happened at Pompeii, and we learn about in our school curriculums that, you know, all of a sudden this gigantic volcanic eruption, came and basically wiped out everyone. And we have the preserved remains or what you can call the, I don't know what the technical term is, but we have like c- certain types of remains left of that civilization, whether it be it buildings or like, you know, casings of people that had uh, been wiped out from it. And that's terrifying. And the Quran men- mentioned several civilizations, including Aad and Thamud, that we are constantly reminded about civilizations that Allah said that they were given great power over the people and in the land and Allah wiped them out in just like that snap of the fingers in the metaphorical sense there's another nation that the westerners describe as iram of the pillars and the Quran mentions this place it was also nicknamed the atlantis of the sands and there's lots of legends about it saying that you know the buildings were made of gold and pillars that were as high as the eye could see and what Allah alludes that this was another nation that was destroyed. But if you look at legends, this nation did exist. There's records of it existing. But now that it's nowhere to be seen. So what then of us in the Western nations where we're comfortably sitting, looking and enjoying at all the wealth and opulence that exists in the West today? Doesn't that make you wonder that Why does the West have such power and it's growing? It's having even more power, more influence, more status amongst the world. You know, everyone, look all around the world. The English language dominates amongst all the other places. You can see that Western clothing, Western movies, Western food, it's everywhere. Showing the dominance that Western civilization has. And this verse is very terrifying in the fact that If what Allah is saying is true and we as Muslims believe it's true, this is a sign of great worry that the West is growing in power. Does this mean that we as Muslims living in the West will be destroyed alongside these people? It's a question for us to ask ourselves. But Allah doesn't say to us, you know, you should become negative or lose a sign of happiness. In fact, it's a reason for us to work harder a reason for us to give da'wah to call towards monotheism because it's not except when a nation completely abandons as Allah says, completely abandons the call that Allah destroys them and here we can, we learn several things from this verse and one of the interesting narrations that I found in the tafsir Arif quran by Mufti Shafi Usmani is that he includes this narration by Sayyidina Ubada Ibn Al samit that says that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, when Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala wills to have a nation survive and grow, he creates in them two qualities, moderation in everything they do, and then number two, modesty and chastity. That is abstinence from indulging in what is not right. And when Allah wills to destroy a nation, he opens for them the doors of breaching of faith what they call in arabic and that is they appear to be successful in the world despite their breaches of faith and wrongdoings when i look at this and i say we look at the history of the early muslims the sahaba when they conquered half half of what was like you know the known empires of the world you know they conquered Half of the Roman Empire and they completely conquered the Persian Empire and destroyed it more or less. These were Bedouins. These were Arab Bedouins that, you know, defeated two great empires and that had all the money and power that was there at the time. And how did they do that? Why? Because they had moderation in everything they did and they preserved their chastity and they were modest. These two qualities were there, but you could see even with the Umayyad empires, with the Abbasid empires and with all the empires that persisted afterwards, they lost these qualities. They began infighting. They lost the spirit of brotherhood in Islam. They stopped focusing on worshipping Allah and became very dunya focused. And so they were destroyed. Same with those great empires. They all came to an end. The Ottomans most recently is an example of that. For those of you, you know, we watch Ertuğrul and we watch Osman and we get really hyped up with these dramas saying, yeah, the Ottoman Empire. But if you read the story of the Ottoman Empire, by the end of it, by the decline of it, you can completely understand why the empire fell out out of grace with Allah. The barakah that Allah gave Ertuğrul Ghazi and Osman Ghazi He didn't give that to to the Ottomans in the end. And that's why they fell apart. Sure, they might have been one or two righteous leaders amongst them, but not all of them. And you can see that in many, many places. Andalus is another great example. The empire in Andalus, many Muslims are very proud of it. They say, you know, it was a cradle of civilization or or it was a great place of uh, innovation and development and science and philosophy and technology. But... When you look at the last century or more more than that, in fact, of the Andalusian Empire, they were stabbing each other in the back. They were fighting amongst themselves. They were were killing each other, families killing each other. Then some people turn around and say, well, you can completely understand why the downfall of the Andalusian Empire happened, the Umayyad Andalus Empire. So it's really sad to see, but it, it should be something of a concern for us muslims that we look at this verse in the quran and we say okay what are we going to do are we going to sit here and let this nation become heedless of the call of allah or are we going to work are we going to work and make sure that, you know, inshallah, we can say to Allah on Yawm Al-Qiyamah that we did our best to call towards Allah. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to now go out and operate a da'wah stand outside the house. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is da'wah is given through manners. It's given through your own obedience to Allah. And that's not just in ibadah. A lot of people forget this. Da'wah is not just through ibadah, it's through your day-to-day actions, it's through your character, it's through your God-consciousness, it's through your contracts and transactions. When you're doing business with someone, are you being fair? Are you charging fair? Are you cheating them at all? People notice these things and one of the things that enabled Islam to reach as far as China and as far west as in Africa was traders. Traders that were upstanding tradesmen, businessmen, and women who went to faraway lands. They traded, but they displayed the utmost upstanding character. And that's what I feel many of us have lost. We're going to pray, you know, a few times a day, sure, but when it comes to business, when it comes to transactions, we'll cheat each other for a bit of money. And when people see this, they're put off by Muslims. They'll see you and they'll instantly think you're... They'll know you're a Muslim. And what they see of your character, of your trade, of your transactions, of your... Interactions with them is how they're going to view Islam So that's why it's really important That we give da'wah in all aspects of our lives With our character, with our trades, with our transactions And being God conscious ourselves Because if we are conscious on our relationship with Allah In everything we do Whether it's our interactions with our family With uh, people we do business with with our neighbors. If we're conscious of that for our own selves, I'm not saying do it for them, do it for your own akhirah. we're conscious of that, people will be able to sense that genuine sincerity. If you go around trying to act like you're trying to convert everyone, no one's gonna want to convert. That's not how it is. You have to show that genuineness to Allah, that loyalty to Allah, that God consciousness, and you will see the effects of that in the people around you. And inshallah, with this optimistic attitude, we can completely turn a nation that is heading towards destruction towards a path of great good, inshaAllah. And with that, we end for today. JazakAllahu Khairan. And inshaAllah, we will convene here next time, next Wednesday, for another tafsir session. JazakAllahu Khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamualaikum.